What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we need to go through our week seven USFL power rankings. We're also going to talk about my five candidates for the most improved defenses of 2023. But first, let's do another installment of our new faces in new places segment this week. We're going to talk about Luke Fickle and Wisconsin. I think it's important to start with who Wisconsin is and why Luke Fickle is the right guy for the job and then what you can expect from Wisconsin in 2023. So until Barry Alvarez becomes head coach at Wisconsin, nobody really thought about Wisconsin as a league. That's just a fact. Four years in, 1993, his Wisconsin team reaches the Rose Bowl and they had a steady stream of excellence for nearly 40 years, or 30 years now, right? We're also talking about great tailbacks and running the football, so much so that that is what Coach Alvarez used to say was the thing that made Wisconsin, Wisconsin. We're going to run the football, right? And if you can't stop the run, we're probably not going to pass. And that has been their identity up until this season. It's a long time. And you think about some of the tailbacks that came through there and the offensive linemen that come through there, you can understand why some folks would be, well, reluctant to change the offense. But that is one of the things that Luke Fickle has chosen to do. Now, the reason that Luke Fickle is the head coach at Wisconsin is because Paul Chris got fired after a two and three start to 2022. To which you might ask, how does a guy that goes 67 and 26 with four out of his first five seasons ending with 10 victories or more and having led Wisconsin to a 13-0 record into the Big Ten Championship game 2017. They lose that one 27-21 to Ohio State. End up getting fired for basically doing what you've come to know from Wisconsin, which is win a bunch of football games, but not necessarily win the Big Ten Championship and certainly not play for a national championship. These are things that Luke Fickle has done, okay? So the first thing to know about Luke Fickle is that, yeah, he was a defensive coordinator on a national championship team, and he was, by default, a defensive coordinator on a national championship team that reached the college football playoff and won the Big Ten championship. But then he went to Cincinnati. And what he did at Cincinnati, we might not see again with the playoff expanding to 12 teams here in just about 18 months, right? What he did was lead Cincinnati to not just an undefeated regular season and a conference championship, but a burst in the college football playoff in 2021. Which means that Luke Fickle had achieved what, uh, with Cincinnati what nobody had achieved at Wisconsin. And that is what Wisconsin is hiring. I understand how some folks are still very much loyal to Coach Christ, and I can understand that. I also see why, if you are running Wisconsin and you would like to see the Badger football team break through you would go get a guy who has been seated and understands the Big Ten and has also achieved at a high level with, frankly, fewer resources. So you go get your guy, and I think Luke Fickle was chomping at the bit to get to the job because he ended up coaching Wisconsin in their bowl game last year. And I thought that that was really exciting and a great move on his part because what better way to understand what you have than to see them in a live game environment with a chance to go either seven and six or six and seven. And you know, like I know, being having a winning record versus having a losing record 
makes all the difference. As an Oklahoma fan, you know, seven and six versus Florida State would have been much better than six and seven with a loss to Florida State. So he gets an understanding of what the personnel is like and just who he thinks he can build around in 2023. But he also brings in his own guys. And this is where it starts to get very interesting and, quite frankly, fun as a Wisconsin fan. So Mike Tressel came over with Luke Fickle as a defense coordinator at Wisconsin after two seasons as a defense coordinator at Cincinnati. He is the nephew of Jim Tressel, who, yes, had employed Luke Fickle at one point. And frankly, uh, Mike Tressel had worked as a grad assistant on that 2002 Ohio State National Championship team. So what are you getting in Mike Tressel? Well, you're getting a guy that developed Sauce Gardner into a consensus All-American, into the guy that would become an All-Pro in his rookie year and win Defensive Rookie of the Year in the NFL just this year with the New York Jets. You're also talking about a guy that helped develop Kobe Bryant, Kobe with a C-O-B-Y, not a K-O-B-E, who won the Thorpe Award in 2021. Two outstanding defensive backs that came out of Cincinnati. What might you be able to do at a place like Wisconsin? And this is after 14 years as an assistant at Michigan State. First joining over in 2004 when Mark D'Antonio took that job and basically staying on as a co-defensive coordinator until Luke Fickle offered him the job following the departure of Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame. Now, I really was interested to see what the defense would look like with Wisconsin runs because that 3-4 that they ran with Jim Leonard was stout. Matter of fact, that might be your worry. If you're a Wisconsin fan is, hey, man, we've been one of the better defensive teams in football for the past decade. And a lot of that is about Coach Leonard. Well, knowing that they're going from that 3-4 to something like a 3-3 stack might give you the willies, but I've been made to understand by folks inside the program that when they see 11 personnel, it's probably going to look a lot like what you're used to seeing, right? Other than that, they're just going to try to match up defensive backs with wide receivers and pass catchers. And I think that's a smart thing to do, given what the Big Ten is even changing into, right? Michigan will throw the ball. Ohio State will certainly throw the ball. Purdue is going to throw the ball. As a matter of fact, when you're getting down to it, you're talking about perhaps Nebraska, maybe Iowa, and Illinois as teams that you might think of as we're going to run the ball until we can't anymore. And that's a great way to build a program. Just look at what Brett Bielema, a former Wisconsin Badger head coach, has done at Illinois and turning them into a pretty doggone good football team and one that scared the hell out of the Big Ten champ that is Michigan during the regular season. So that's the defensive side. And frankly, that was the one that I was most concerned about. The guy that Luke Fickle managed to hire on the offense ought to make you very, very excited as a Badger fan because Phil Longo is that dude. My favorite story to tell about Phil Longo actually comes from Mac Brown. So Mac Brown, when he's coming back to coach and he had settled on North Carolina as the place where he wanted to come back, used his connections as, well, former head coach of Texas and having worked in TV for so long to reach out to some coaches that are very much in it. And the two guys that he reached out to on the offensive side were Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury. And the quote that he gave the Sports Illustrated at the time was, I want to be Oklahoma. That's the offense I want to run. Okay, so Lincoln Riley. Who could help Mac Brown get back on his Mark Morrison, right? Cliff Kingsbury. Who could help Mac Brown get back on his Mark Morrison? That's Return of the Mac for those of y'all that just don't get the reference. And they both pointed to Longo, who at the time was at Ole Miss. Longo turned Sam Howell into the best ACC quarterback north of Clemson, okay? And turned Drake May into a Heisman frontrunner this year after May 
did what, frankly, only Heisman Trophy winners do. So since 2010, he is one of just a few guys to throw for 4,000 yards, 35 pass TDs, rush for 650 yards with seven rush TDs in a single season. That was last year. The other quarterbacks that have done it since 2010, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Marcus Mariota, Johnny Manziel, and RG3. So that's four Heisman winners and Deshaun Watson. That's not bad. That's not bad. And he brought with him to Wisconsin former UNC O-line coach Jack Bicknell Jr. So you understand the run game and the pass game are going to be married into a kind of pro-rate, the kind that Lincoln Riley made famous at Oklahoma. And certainly a dude that knows from quarterback play because, again— Mac Brown asked two of the better quarterback developers in the sport what they thought. For instance, Baker Mayfield, first-round draft pick. Kyler Murray, first-round draft pick. Both those guys won the Heisman. Caleb Williams won the Heisman. Probably the first guy off the board in 2024. And, of course, Cliff Kingsbury produced the best NFL football player today in Patrick Mahomes, right? I think those things matter when you're talking about a guy like Phil Longo, who is two for two on quarterbacks that he has selected to be starters for him, which is why everybody should be paying attention to Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin. It's not just that Mordecai also is a former Oklahoma quarterback signed in 2018 with Lincoln Riley. You're welcome. It's also that he is used to slinging it, man. He had back-to-back seasons of 3,500 pass yards, 30 TDs, and 12 or fewer INTs at Southern Methodist. Okay? You give him some dudes. You let him cook, and you see what you got. And then the run game, it's already there for you. Braylon Allen, we all know, is a dude. That's a freshman, sophomore year with back-to-back 1,200-yard rushing seasons and at least 10 TDs. Also, Ches Malusi, right? You'll remember that Javante Williams and Michael Carter were doing work at UNC. So he knows how to use two tailbacks and a great quarterback to go score a bunch of points. And that is what you are looking to do at Wisconsin because that is what you haven't been able to do. If you go down by three touchdowns, do you have the kind of offense that can wipe that out? Do you have an eraser on that offense? Do you have an offense that you can marry with a defense that can shut people down and then take that next step, right? Past winning 10 games a season and into winning Big Ten championships and playing in the college football playoff. Basically, you're trying to break the ceiling that Michigan broke through a couple years ago. And that is difficult. Just ask Wolverine fans how they feel about it. I'm bullish on what... Phil Longo and Mike Tressel are going to be able to do in 2023. I know that Luke Fickle is a winner. I know that he knows what it takes to build a winner in the Big Ten. And I know that Wisconsin football fans really want to be good in the worst way. So I am all in on Wisconsin being a force in the Big Ten in 2023 and beyond. All right, let's go from our new faces, new places feature to the most improved defenses In 2023, or I should say, the defenses that I believe are going to be the most improved in 2023. And we're going to go one through five here. I'm going to spend a little more time on some than others. But at number one, I think it is LSU. Because LSU, for the talent it had, I thought was pretty middle of the pack when they could have been elite. Now, that's also Brian Kelly's year one. But you can understand, they got basically a member of the Justice League at linebacker in Harold Perkins Jr., who is outstanding and had a game of games against Arkansas. They also get back Makai Wingo and Mason Smith. Mason Smith, who famously had a season-ending injury on a celebration in the first game of the season, but also a dude that has already been marked 
as a potential first-round draft pick in 2024. Wingo was also an AP All-America third-team selection. And then they added some more guys in the transfer portal, notably Omar Spates, who's coming from Oregon State, where he helped lead Oregon State to their first 10-win season since 2006 and received all Pac-12 honors for his efforts after recording 83 tackles. And then I think that the place where they actually might be the most thin is at corner. But you add guys like J.K. Johnson from Ohio State, you add an FCS All-American from Southeastern Louisiana, and all of a sudden the SEC West champs look like defending their crown. Number two on the list for me, Penn State Nittany Lions. The reason that I have Penn State here is because I just don't see a place where they have a hole, which is an outstanding thing to say. And frankly, an infrequent thing we get to say in the age of the transfer portal where guys are coming and going. It feels like Manny Diaz has the sort of defense that can help James Franklin return Penn State to its 2016 form where they're competing for a Big Ten championship because they were right there on the cups last year. And this year, they return guys like Chop Robinson, Abdul Carter. Abdul Carter, who recorded 10.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks, and two forced fumbles as a true freshman in Manny Diaz's scheme. Tyler Elston, Kobe King, Curtis Jacobs fill out that linebacker core. And what I thought was really interesting is that's a linebacker core without a single senior. And that defense, for that defense, is probably the weakness, but that linebacker core is a strength almost anywhere else in the country. I'm really excited to see what Manny Diaz's aggressive style can bring to Penn State in this 2023 season where Drew Alars going to have guys, but he's also going to need some help from the defense, this being his first year as the guy at Beaver Stadium. Now, number three on the list, I got Ohio State here. The Buckeyes are still searching for their 2019 form. And since Jeff Hathley took the job at Boston College, they have gone through Kerry Combs, and now they're into year two of Jim Knowles. And it's not just that he needs the defense to perform, it's that Ryan Day needs the defense to perform because as asinine as I think it is, people are really asking if Ryan Day is the guy to lead the Buckeyes past 2023, to which I would say, yes, duh. But if you're looking at that defense, they gave up an average of 39.3 points per game to top 15 opponents last year. Now, they only played three of those, but you played three of those, right? You gave up 45 to Michigan. You gave up 42 to Georgia. The offense wasn't there in against Michigan to bail them out. And, of course, they came up just short of beating the eventual national champion, Georgia, in the college football playoff. Now, no one doubts that Larry Johnson Sr. is going to have that defensive line ready to go with JT Tui Maloau and others, Jack Sawyer, among others, Mike Hall. Those dudes are going to have absolutely be on their game, right? We understand that. We know what Larry Johnson Sr. is capable of giving us with them dudes with those kung fu karate hands. The linebacker core, I think, is good. Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, solidify it at the second level. I also think it's a front seven that gave up 216 yards to Donovan Edwards on the ground. And that just, that can't happen. You can't get run on like this by a team that wants to run the football also in Michigan. Now, they also were able to throw about throw on them, and that's where I get to Jordan Hancock needs to have a year. Sonny Style Jr. needs to announce himself. But you're talking about a defense and a secondary that gave up 371 pass yards to three TDs to Penn State. They gave up 263, including 160 receiving yards to Cornelius Johnson and three pass TDs to Michigan. And, of course, they gave up 398 pass yards and three passing TDs to Georgia. And this is the one that got me, including three catches for 129 and a TD to Arian Smith. Now, Arian Smith is a great player, but he's also a dude that caught all of three passes all of 2022 before that game. 
you can't have that at your corner and safety spot. You have to have guys that can play man-to-man, that can play that bump and run, and you got to have an eraser in the middle of the field that is your safety. I think that 4-2-5 can be great, but they've got some work to do, and it's all down to those corners and those safeties. Number four on the list, I got Texas here. No player was more impactful for his team's defense in the Big 12 than Jalen Ford, who notched 119 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, four interceptions, and three forced fumbles. If he would have been selected for first-team All-America last year, I would not have batted an eye. That's how good he was. Now, there was no room left on that particular uh, depth chart, but my goodness, was he ever a player. They also add some guys that I really like in semifinalists for the Thorpe Award, Jalen Catalan, and they get back Ryan Watts, who I think the world of. Um, Ryan Watts is not only a great cornerback, he's a great person. And if Vernon Broughton II actually plays the way he looks, watch out, man. Like, I've been watching Vernon since he was in high school, and that dude has looked like an NFL specimen since he was in high school. Add him to Alfred Collins. Add him to what you have on that defensive front, and Pete Kukowski finally figuring this thing out in year three. I would not be shocked to find out they go down to Tuscaloosa and they get the W that they should have gotten on the 40 acres last year. They just need to go to Quinn Ewers to stay healthy. And then number five, Oklahoma lost five games last year by one score, but gave up an average of 212.6 yards on the ground in big 12 play. That can't happen. They could not get off the field on third down. That can't happen. They lose guys like Jalen Redmond, but they return guys like Ethan Downs. And they also add a Bedlam transplant. Like, Trace Ford is coming over from Oklahoma State to play at Oklahoma. You want to know how Oklahoma State feels about it? Just go check the boards. They are not happy about it. But he understands like they understand, right? He's getting an opportunity to go play, and he's going to be, I think, outstanding on their front. And they add dudes that I really enjoy. Desai McCullough joined up from Indiana. He is outstanding as a pass rusher, and they're going to have him playing primarily in the second level. Notre Dame defensive tackle Jacob Lacey transferring over. You got another dude in my goodness the speed that they have at defensive line and the speed that they have in the secondary you're gonna have to pay attention to track speed Jaden rose 10.416 or excuse me 10.46 in the hundred uh he's also 200 pounds gentry williams ran 47.7 in the 400 right 21 1 in the 200 that's flying you got peyton bowen you got billy bowman you got key lawrence you got dudes it's just you need to put them all together in ted roof's year two and frankly you need to get on the good foot this being Oklahoma's last year with Texas in the Big 12 before they make the big leap to what is the best conference in football that is the SEC okay let's do away with our most improved defenses or what I think are going to be the most improved defenses in 2023 and let's do our week seven USF our power rankings let's start with this if the playoffs started today the north would be represented by Philadelphia and Michigan, and the South would be represented by Birmingham and Memphis. Memphis started the season over and then went on a run, but they've got wins against New Orleans and Houston, two and one against those teams, and that's why they would get the spot. So naturally, at number one, I had the Memphis Showboats, who I had, I think, dead last just a few weeks ago, but that's the tear that they have been on with my goodness, four straight wins after starting the season 0-3. And Todd Haley saying, we got to get a move on if we're going to do this. They beat Houston 23-20 to at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. And Derek Dillon is becoming a star for them. It's another dude that is breaking out when they need him to break out. 64-yard break tackle, yak attack for the game-winning score to put them on the good foot. And I think 
you got to go with the team that's charging. If Al Capone's whoop that trick came on, you would understand because they actually did play that at the stadium. Let me tell you about Memphis. M- M- Memphis is about Memphis rap. M- Memphis is about his barbecue and his music. Al Capone, Young Dolph. Like, I was having a good time. When I, I heard whoop that trick come on at Simmons Bank, Liberty State. I looked around and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the, he did the coin toss here not too long ago. I'm like, yes. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Memphis be getting it how they live. I like that. Number two in our USFL power rankings, the Birmingham Stallions, who are five and two, right? They got the better record, but I want to see them reel off some wins again, man. I'm used to a Birmingham Stallion team that does not take L. Remember, they lost all of one game last year. I mean, you had me out here thinking that was Alabama in white. Turns out, not so much. And then... They got back on the good foot against the team that put 45 on them. They beat New Orleans 24 to 20. They're 19 to 2 at Protective Stadium uh, when they give up fewer than 27 points, which is wild, right? Quarterback Alex Magoo is making a case for MVP. I mean, it goes because he goes 198 total yards, two TDs in that win. Former Ohio linebacker Quentin Poland uh, at a game of games, 11 tackles, three for loss, two sacks, and a fumble recovering. Birmingham reclaimed the number two spot at the top like Gucci Man after drop top WAP. Number three on the USFL power rankings for me are the Philadelphia Stars, who played a spirited game against the Pittsburgh Maulers last Sunday, winning that game 37-31 at Pro Football Hall of, St- Hall of Fame Stadium. Life is good for the Stars. Like, quarterback Case Cookies, figuring out. I got a Bolitnikoff Award winner out there in Corey Coleman, and I'm going to throw him the ball. Had the longest play of the season when they connected for a 56-yard TD that led to Philly getting that game-winning 37-31 TD against Pittsburgh last Saturday. Cook is 18-30 for 235, two TDs. I mean, I'm here for it. Now, I also need to say there has not been a USFL championship that has not had the Philadelphia Stars in it. And now that they are in position to clinch in Week 8, looking that way again with a win against Birmingham this Saturday a game I will be at covering in person and losses from New Jersey and Pittsburgh this week in the stars they clinched the division right with three weeks or two weeks left to play number four on the list New Orleans Breakers they fall to four and three after a four and oh start they have done the opposite of what the Memphis Showboats have done they lost 24-20 to Birmingham in a game that was more about officiating than I think Mike Pereira would like it to be about officiating. Like, I remember them moving the football four times uh, during the last two minutes of the game, trying to figure out what the spot was and what the penalties were. Just not a great look. But the Breakers have gone from big timers to a team struggling to get their roll on. Perhaps they can get it back against Michigan at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at Protective Stadium. I will also be covering that game. Number five on the list, Houston Gamblers at 4-3 and after really having a really great stretch of football. And they didn't play bad football against Memphis in that 23-20 loss. Despite Kenji Bahar having 216 pass yards and and Mark Thompson stretching his league-leading rushing TD lead to 11, they gave up a 16-6 lead in the fourth quarter and got beat by a Memphis team that found its playmaker in Derek Dillon. And I think that's going to have a lot to say about who the showboats are. And frankly... Does not look bad for the gamblers. They're still playing pretty good football. Number six, the Michigan Panthers. Michigan beat New Jersey 25-22 to at Pro Football Hall of Fame Stadium. Panthers punch back like Motor City Cobra at the Kronk, adopting the city's ethos, Detroit versus everybody. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look that song up. It's got Big Sean. It's got Royce the Five Nine. And it's even got some Eminem for y'all that get down with the Marshall Mathers LP. I just can't, you know. The Marshall Mathers LP is great. It's whatever this, this, this new one is that I got a problem with. You know, with a real Slim Shady, please stand up. That's me. Okay? The way I am. That's me. So I got to take it back like 20 years. I don't have to take it back that far from Michigan to get a win, though. I mean, five catch, 121-yard performance for Joe Walker, an 81-yard rushing performance for Reggie Corbin, and then a 97-yard kick return for TD from Caden Davis. I don't know if you've been paying attention, because I've been paying attention, because I've literally watched every single USFL game that has been played since his return in 2022. It's a lot of football. There are kick returns for TDs in this league. Like, I'm playing Madden. Like years ago when Dante Hall was putting everybody on skates. I am here for this. I love these kickoff rules. And I love that dudes get an opportunity to return it. And I love even more that it doesn't matter if your feet are near the touchline. If you can catch it and you go, you be Derek Dillon. You can go be a superhero, baby. 109-yard return on a missed field goal? I'm here for that. I love that. Number seven, I got the New Jersey Generals. They lost to Michigan 25-22. to This is not the New Jersey General team that we saw last year. But frankly... All the games that they lost this year are games they would have won last year. I think the margins are just that thin. DeAndre Johnson needed to be carted off with 8.34 left to play in the game. Kyle Aletta led the offense to within a score of uh, tying the game, but they failed their fourth and 12 conversion attempt, which I really love. In the USFL, if you're not paying attention, you can opt for a fourth and 12 play from your own 33-yard line rather than an onside kick. And again... If I'm playing or I'm coaching, we go on for it every single time we score. Why would I ever want to give you back the ball? But then again, you know, I'm a quarterback at heart and I want to have the ball and I don't, defense is for the CPU to play. It ain't for me to play. And then number eight, the Pittsburgh Maulers, they lost 37-31 to Philly. I think that they've got the best defense in the league. They just can't get an offense to match it. They got dudes on that defense and they were showing out. They also have a great kick returner in Isaiah Henney, but like, the Maulers are putting people into a space where we're going to have to start seeing nice things about Frick Park Market, where we're going to have to start saying nice things about Blue Side Park, and we're going to have to start saying nice things about how everybody wants to put Heinz on whatever it is that they're trying to eat out there. Uh, we're going to start, start fighting about whether it's Carnegie or Carnegie. Again, if you're Pittsburgh, you get all those jokes. If you don't, thank you for riding along with me while I'm having a damn good time doing this here show, and that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is JB on Duncan. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our lead of screening is Jack Coakley. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Friday. Doses. <laughs>